0: I'm Hannah,
1: and I'm Taylor,
0: and together we are Goop Side Puck,
1: Goopy Poopy. <laughs>
0: you
1: can't run, you can't hide, take a walk on the weird side, it goes bump in the night. Take a walk on the weird side, you can't trust the living, you can't kill the dead, you can't stop
0: the voices inside.
1: You can't run, you can't hide.
0: Welcome back, Weirdos.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor.
0: And together we are Weird, Weird Side Podcast. Podcast. Well, we hope you enjoyed learning more about the Virginia Tech Massacre in our last episode. Today's episode, we will be discussing the shooting in itself and the aftermath of the shooting. But before we get into our topic today, we'd like to give our announcements and usual shout outs. The first announcement that I wanted to talk about, this was something that happened actually, I think maybe two or three days ago. But a little boy in Narrows got hit by a car. And I mean, here's the thing about it. Like, part of you wants to say what the hell is wrong with people, but the other part of you kind of knows that accidents do happen and that people, I think, naturally speed. And especially if you're not paying attention, literally anything could happen, which I'm not excusing it by any means at all.
1: I don't think we really know the circumstances of that yet, but I do know that the little boy is actually perfectly fine now.
0: Yes. So his name was Corbin on Saturday, May 6th, around 11 o'clock in the morning, baby Corbin was hit by a car in Narrows. He ended up with a fractured skull and a road rash. He was flown to Roanoke. I think he was flown, but in any case, he ended up in Roanoke and they did several tests on him, including MRIs. And, you know, obviously, at first, the mother was very concerned that something more serious was wrong, I think, as any parent would. But luckily, you know, as sad as it is to say, because it's sad that it even happened, but he ended up with a fractured skull and a road rash. And that was the extent of his injuries by the grace of God. He got to come home on Monday. Baby Corbin is now doing well, and he seems to have his energy back and appears in good spirits. His mother, Miss Dallas Dalton, is very grateful for all the support from the community. She has publicly announced her address for visitors and says that Corbin would love to have visitors. We have shared this video on our Weird Side Facebook page in case anyone wants to check it out. But we are so happy to see this baby is home and doing well.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing the pictures from the accident and on his way to the hospital and his time at the hospital. And we don't have children yet, but it was just heartbreaking to see that.
1: I know road rash has got to be painful because that's where the road rubs your skin off when you get hit. Yeah. That for all that poor little guy. I feels so bad for him.
0: I know. I wish I remembered how old he was. I think he might have been like around four. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong, but he's a little guy. And I'm just glad that he's doing better back home. The second announcement I wanted to talk about was the same thing that I talked about on our last episode. A family member of two co-workers of mine, unfortunately, was given the news that he had weeks left to live. He has cancer and he's eating up with it pretty bad. And it's a really sad situation because he is expecting his first grandchild. And I think his condition has just not gotten any better at all. I mean, again, predictable if you're being told that you only have weeks left to live However, it's still very, very sad. So he's not doing too great from what I've heard from the family members of his that I work with. Mr. Randy is feeling very lethargic, sick, weak. It's just really, really sad. So just please continue to send prayers for that family. I will reshare their GoFundMe page if you have anything monetarily to contribute, but more than anything, this family is just asking for prayers. Also, there is no update on the Pulaski Chihuahua case. As far as I know, haven't seen anything, but the case I'm- is still under investigation, and PETA is still offering a $5,000 reward for information that could lead to an arrest.
1: I'm honestly not surprised. Like, no one has come forward. Like, I hate, I hate that. Like, I honestly do, but are you really surprised?
0: No, not really. Sad, but... If there are any updates, we'll be sure to talk about it in the future if we have any new information to share about it. And also, the last announcement I wanted to talk about, again from our last episode, Miss Crystal Candler, who had passed away suddenly of an aneurysm. She was pregnant. They were able to save her baby, but she unfortunately did not make it. Very, very sad situation. Her GoFundMe surpassed the goal, though, that they had for the funeral services and just for the family in general. They surpassed that goal about $500, so that's great.
1: That's really great. I'm glad to hear that.
0: Yeah, and I've said before, you know, when it comes to someone passing away, no amount of money can make up for that, but the last thing you need to be dealing with on top of grief and losing a family member is worrying about your bills and how you're going to pay this and how you're going to pay that, so... That's why we share these GoFundMe pages, because it's just one less thing that you have to worry about. It gives people time to concentrate, focus, or take whatever time they need to work through their grief, which is the issue at hand. So Miss Crystal Candler was the director of child care at the Giles Health and Family Center. So she was known in the community for being in charge of daycare centers around here in our area. Every person that I've heard talk about her has said nothing but wonderful things. I myself never got to meet her, but I haven't heard a bad thing about her. So she will be very missed and it's just such a loss to the community and to the family. So please just continue to keep that family in your prayers. And as usual, we like to give our shout-outs for the people who have helped us get Weird Side started and on the go. Number one is Mr. Derek Nowlin from Second Sauce Podcast.
1: Ooh. Daddy, what's up? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Derek is a funny guy, but he's also really down-to-earth, nice.
1: One of the bravest guys I know, especially all the stories that he told us about going through Iraq and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. He's and like- to
1: be that funny and handsome. I mean, tch, ladies. <laughs>
0: He's a really cool dude.
1: I'm just saying he's a catch. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but
0: I remember when we first had the idea to start Weird Side, neither one of us had a single clue how to even get started on a podcast. So Taylor had messaged Derek because he knew that Derek had his own podcast. And Derek was has been nothing but supportive since day one when this was Weird Side was just an idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we are forever appreciative for him, for his support. Second person I want to give a shout out to is my bestie Meredith for designing our logo and Logan for making his own version of Meredith's design. His design is the one that we use for our uploads, but we also have Meredith's original watercolor design as well. Possibly in the future, we might have some apparel with these logos on them.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're like a... A girl with bad separation anxiety. We're nothing without all of you. <laughs> so
0: true. Nothing. Nothing. And we also want to give a shout out to my good friend Icarus and Holly for writing our banger of a the theme song.
1: Mm, and a sexy honey.
0: <laughs> He's got some really awesome music out there. And mm-hmm. I've always thought that he was a very, very talented guy and musician. So be sure to check out his stuff on his YouTube.
1: We, we still listen to his intro on the way. Like, we're just driving down the road and just, you want to listen to our intro?
0: Hell yeah. And you know what's actually cool? I had somebody who listens to our podcast just randomly start singing that the other day at work. I meant to tell you about that. She just was like, you didn't tell
1: me about I that. I did
0: and I forgot But she, me and her were just walking down the hallway and all of a sudden out of nowhere, she was like, can I take a walk on the weird side? Catchy. You?
1: you gotta tell me who that is later.
0: Oh, I sure will. She's awesome. So, yes, thank you to all those people who have helped us get our podcast going. Without you guys, we would have struggled a lot more. So we really, really appreciate all the help and support you guys have given us. Mm -hmm. But getting in today's topic, Virginia Tech Massacre Part 2, the shooting and aftermath.
1: Just want to point out to everybody, if you hear some bumps and cracks and stuff, our beautiful dog Roxy is joining us in the house today. She had some surgery, and we d- don't want her to be alone, so she's joining us. So if anybody hears some weird bumps and you're listening to this in the car, like, what is that? That's Roxy. <laughs> yeah,
0: Roxy and her brothers, Reese and Rudy, love to bark, especially when we're doing our podcast. I know you guys have already probably picked up on it, but hearing dogs bark in the background is just normal for our podcast, so.
1: <laughs> well, she's just standing listening to your side right there. Look, If you, if you look, yeah. <laughs> She's just standing there. <laughs> she's, she's not precious. feeling too good.
0: So, on April 16th, 2007, at approximately 7.15 in the morning, Cho shot a female and male student, Emily Hilsher and Ryan C. Clark, in a dorm building, which was West Ambler Johnston Hall. Police initially suspected the girl's boyfriend for the shooting and believed the incident to be a domestic dispute. That is important, because this is why they did not send out an active shooter alert after this incident, which Virginia Tech Police got critiqued for badly.
1: Well... Not defending it, but I kind of see where they're coming from. You know what I mean? Like, if you come into a dorm, and... I'm, I'm not saying it's like this 100% of the time, okay? But if you come into a dorm, and there's a female that is deceased and a male because i'm pretty sure he was in his underwear correct
0: yes the male was
1: he was in his was she
0: um i i don't remember i think she was clothed was clothed okay but i think the male that was found was in his underwear and Mm -hmm. naturally if you walk into a scene like that it looks like a it it
1: could i'm not saying it does but it could look like that and i kind of don't blame them for thinking that but obviously they were wrong because okay.
0: it looked like a boyfriend and her, sorry, a boyfriend and his girlfriend together. But the male was not the girl's boyfriend. They were two yeah. random people.
1: Yeah. was I think the guy was like in charge of that hall, like the that floor, advisor. right?
0: I believe he was the RA, I the, think. Yeah. But from my understanding, what had happened was the female was attacked first yeah. and then the male went to her room to go check and assist on her. And that's when he was also.
1: He must have him. really done it in a panic if he rushed into a girl's room in just his underwear.
0: Very, very He must have
1: been just trying to do his job.
0: Yeah, I mean, actually, I know that can be a, a funny moment. But really, if someone was rushing that much to rescue or come to my aid when I needed help or if something could have potentially be wrong with me, I would appreciate that.
1: Like mm-hmm. I that was just doing his job.
0: Yeah. But after that dorm shooting, Cho went to the nearby post office and mailed a package to NBC News that included his manifesto with documents, pictures, and video files.
1: Can you imagine being the person that received that? Where, where'd you I say he, he you. shipped it to? Where?
0: He shipped it out of the Blacksburg No, post where office.
1: did he send it to? Ship it to.
0: NBS News.
1: Can you imagine being the person that received it, like opened it up?
0: NBC, I'm sorry. Oh, NBC.
1: Do you think that they had probably already heard what had happened when they got it? Wait, yeah, because it probably got there a few days later.
0: It did get there a few days later. But this package contained all of his manifesto, which I'll be reading some things included in that here in a moment. And it also included the infamous pictures that is like the first thing you see when you Google his name of him with the black hat and then the black t-shirt and holding the guns on either side of him. See, I've not seen picture. Looking right that at the picture. camera. You haven't seen the picture? No,
1: I actually haven't.
0: Oh, yeah. We'll have to look that up for you to see, but please
1: do. I'd like to see it.
0: Yeah. It's just really catches the vibe on what his plans were and where his state of mind was at. But that package also contained pictures from that. And then it also contained videos of him talking to everyone about how you're asking for this and this could have been avoided. And as we discussed in the last episode, he really fell through the cracks when it came to being held responsible for his mental health. No one claimed responsibility for him. There were several signs there that he had mental health issues. And in a way, which I'm, of course, I'm not saying that the massacre deserved to happen. I'm not saying that.
1: Absolutely not.
0: But when he says you had several opportunities to avoid this, is he really wrong?
1: It's weird that he's shifting the blame. Like, it is partially their fault or not? catching him like they were supposed to but it is also his fault because he i you, you can't tell me he wasn't a smart kid
0: oh yeah he yeah. knew what he was he, doing
1: Yeah, he knew what he was doing and if he knows he has problems and chooses not to address them
0: that's on him it's
1: partially his fault too not all but partially if he goes yeah this is all your fault i have problems why didn't you help me you could have easily went and got help yourself i mean exactly they, they flat out said that teacher that believed that he was a good kid. Well, not necessarily a good kid, but tried to help him through his classes mm-hmm. that we talked about in the first episode. It was there.
0: Yes. He returned to his dorm room to restock his ammo after he sent this package. I'll be reading some of the excerpts from his manifesto. I want to give just a warning to anybody if they don't want to hear any of this to skip forward. But on page one of the manifesto, he writes the line, Oh, the happiness I could have had mingling among you. I'm going to butcher this word. Hedonist, H-E-D-O-N-I-S-T-S. Y'all know with this hick accent I've of mine. I've never,
1: never heard of that word. Again, <laughs> Then I'm not the best with English.
0: <laughs> I love English, but I'm not even going to lie. A lot of words I do not, I don't know what they mean, so I have to look them up. But hopefully I said that right. Hedonist, being counted as one of you. Only if you didn't fuck the living shit out of me. What?
1: I don't think he wanted to be a part of everybody. He didn't. I don't think he wanted to.
0: And again, I think he's not meaning literally, but I can't help but to think of that sexual frustration again when he uses the word fuck the living shit out of me.
1: I I thought he meant, I thought it was like metaphorical.
0: It is, but I still can't help but to get that vibe from the sexual frustration. On page one, he also writes, you could have been great. I could have been great. Ask yourself what you did to me to have made me clean the slate.
1: Yeah, he could have been great.
0: Yeah, he damn well could have been. He could, he have, could been.
1: have been, but he didn't.
0: He chose not to He be. chose not to be. I mean, I know he was struggling mentally, but he was still capable of making his own choices. He had that cognitive he, he ability. Have,
1: he didn't have to talk to be successful. Like, I know everybody's like, yeah, he didn't talk. He was weird. People are introverts. You don't have to talk to people. I understand some people don't like human contact. Totally get it. 100% totally get it. Yeah. Some people. Fucking suck, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. but he still could have been successful. I think he could have been mm-hmm. if he had gotten help for problems, but yeah. again, shifting part of the blame everybody else. Why would uh, do you remember that poem he wrote?
0: Yeah, A Boy Named, Loser, A Boy Named Loser on the last episode.
1: He didn't have to be,
0: yeah, he didn't have he didn't to be. Have to be. If he viewed himself that way, you know, what that, if you he always heard? Like, if you don't like something about yourself, then change it.
1: Maybe he didn't see it that way. I mean, and, not. and granted, some people see the world differently through different eyes. So
0: on page two, he writes, only if you could be the victim of your reprehensible and wicked crimes, you Christian Nazis, you could have brute restrained your animal urges to fuck me. You could be yeah. at home right now eating your fucking caviar and your fucking Cognac and you not ravenously raped my soul. Ew. That's fucked so, up. So, again, vibe. I know he's talking about metaphorically, but I'm once again hearing the sexual frustration. I'm also hearing, again, blaming other people for his problems. Three, having a really strong dislike for other people. And four, just hating everybody in general and himself.
1: Why is he hating everybody, but he said he could have been normal like him? Like, why would you want it? In that first sentence, like, he envied being them, but then he also hates them at the same time. Like, why? I don't, I don't yeah, it. it's... it's. Why would you want to be like... Like, if you hate him, like, why do you want to be like him?
0: His stuff is contradictory. And I mean...
1: And maybe we're not seeing uh, everybody. anybody have any other opinions. Give us a shout. I mean, we'd love to hear it, but this is just what we're seeing. But, um, that's That's kind of contradictory a little bit.
0: Well, I mean, even with me, I'll be honest with you. I I contradict myself all the time. Everybody. We're all humans. Page three of the manifesto, which, by the way, this manifesto was a total of 23 pages. Wow. On page three, he writes, For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Can you feel the pain that you fucked us in, you descendants of Satan? Well, can you feel it? Page four, Cho writes, all the shit you've given me, right back at you with hollow points. And then it says in italics, photograph of hollow point bullets. Don't you just wish you finished me off when you had the chance? Don't you just wish you killed me? Now that's a little confusing. I came back
1: that he wanted to live a normal life, but you should have killed me. Why would like we want to kill you? Like,
0: if anything, wa- I mean- he's made comments of killing himself in the past. Remember, that's how he, why he got TDO'd. He yeah, made the comment, point, good point. might as well just kill myself because I'm worthless or I'm just a bird. Whatever it was he He's not worthless. Like,
1: he wasn't worthless. No, I mean, every human life has value. It starts out that way. Before he was a serial, before he did what he did, everybody has, potent, has value out there. Mm-hmm. Not not as much after what he did, but yeah. he did have value.
0: He, he could have been productive in this he world. He could
1: have been. He really could have been.
0: Page five, he says, you had a hundred billion chances and ways to have avoided today. That was what I was talking about earlier. But you decided to spill my blood. You forced me into a corner and gave me only one option. The decision was yours. Now you have blood on your hands that will never wash off. You apostles of sin.
1: Those, he always had options. He wanted violence.
0: Page six, congratulations, you have succeeded in extinguishing my life. Vandalizing my heart wasn't enough for you. Raping my soul wasn't enough for you. Committing emotional sodomy on me wasn't enough for you. Every single second wasted on your wanton hedonism and menacing sadism could have been used to prevent today. Ask yourselves, what was I doing all this time? All these months, hours, seconds. Only if you could have been the victim of your crimes. Only if you could have been the victim. That is haunting because several people were the victim after he lost his shit.
1: I see what you're saying when it comes to the sexual stuff because I mean, he's bringing a man rape and fucking along.
0: Yeah. Page seven, to you sadistic snobs, I may be nothing but a piece of dog shit. You have vandalized my heart, raped my soul, and torched my conscience again and again. You thought it was one pathetic, void life that you were extinguishing. Thanks to you, I die, like Jesus Christ, to inspire generations of the weak and defenseless people, my brothers, sisters, and children, that you fuck. Like Moses, I spread the sea and lead my people, the weak, the defenseless, and the innocent children of all ages that you fucked and will always try to fuck to eternal freedom. Thanks to you sinners, you spillers of blood, I set the example of the century for my children to follow. Oh, Cho, how wrong you are on that, bud. You didn't inspire anybody at all. All you did was cause a tragedy. But in his mind, he's doing this for people like himself, who he feels are bullied and not made to fit in and who he thinks everyone just is out to get him. Like
1: Honestly, this is going to be very controversial. There are people that do look up to what he did like fucked yeah. up people and it's not right it's it's not right because some people now right. look at the world that we're living in how many honestly uh, like straight up last week i could name three or four shootings off the top of my head
0: that's just so sad
1: and i'm not saying this is a direct correlation but if shootings became more and more popular that i don't think they would be happening as much right now
0: page eight You may stand steadfast on the battlefield of your life's dedication to eternal terrorism, American Al-Qaeda, but the children that you have fucked will rise. By the power greater than God, we will hunt you down, you lovers of terrorism, and we will kill you. Do they want to fuck us and pretend to be devout Christians? Do they want to smear dog shit on our face, then give us a dirty towel to wipe away? Do they want to rape us, then give us stained toilet paper to clean up? Do they want to cut our throat, then give us a used band-aid to patch up? Do they want to perpetuate endless sessions of crucifixions and holocausts on our innocent life, then go to church and praise the Lord and Jesus? Do they want to fuck us and pretend to be Jesus Christ? I say we're the Jesus Christ, my brothers, sisters, and children. Jesus Christ exists in us all. Acts Jesus Christ, John Jesus Christ, Jane Jesus Christ, Sung Jesus Christ, Carlos Jesus Christ, Hakim Jesus Christ, Muhammad Jesus Christ... Zhang, Oliver, Elizabeth, Vladimir, blank, Jesus Christ. I say there is no pain they can inflict on us that they haven't already inflicted. I say they can't fuck us any more than they have already done. I say there are no lies they can say about us that they haven't already said. I say fuck you, you descendants of Satan disguised as devout Christians. I say we take up the cross, take up our guns and knives and hammers, and take no prisoners and spare no lives until our last breath and last ounce of energy." You know what this reminds me of? What? Maybe it's because I recently read a book, by the way, which, which was awesome. It was called The Weight of Blood. And it basically was the story of Carrie retold from black culture. It's really good. But you know how in Carrie, the mother of the story, she is seen as overly religious. But really, she's the villain. She's the evil one. But she comes across like she is a Christian. And she's supposed to be the good in her eyes, was the same thing with Cho. He's seeing himself as the good one. He's seeing himself as the one who is surviving, living in a world full of cruel people who are just so mean and so unwelcoming and so hateful. But really, he's the one who harbors all of these feelings, Mm -hmm. not the world.
1: I can't help but notice, do you remember in the first page, he said, all you Christian fucks?
0: Yeah. He's have
1: a lot of Christian things about him. Like, I don't... Why did he it's, say, "I hate you all, Christian fucks"? But then he's like referencing himself to be a Jesus kind of thing. I don't. I don't get that. Like,
0: yeah, I don't. I don't either. I
1: don't. I'm really not getting that.
0: Page 11. By destroying, we create. We create the feelings in you of what it is like to be the victim. What it is like to be fucked and destroyed because of your annihilations. We create and raise new breeds of children who will show you fuckers what you have done to us. Like Easter, it will be a day of rebirth. It will be a start of revolution of the children that you fucked. You have never felt a single ounce of pain your whole life. Thus, by destroying you, by giving you pain, we attempt to show you responsibilities and meanings of other people's lives. Another thing, he keeps talking in plural, like we. There is nobody else on his side here. He doesn't have any friends. Who, I mean, unless he's just talking about the other people in the world who he views as just like him, who he views as outcasts and Receiving cruel treatment from the world, but he's alone. He has nobody. He
1: seems very self-centered here, like no one else feels pain when, in actuality, everyone does. Not the same pain that he felt, but it's 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 kind of selfish. <laughs> he, he keeps going. He's being selfish. I'm the victim. I'm this. I'm that. You're not. No, you're not. Like nothing you've done is good. And it like I mm. page twelve.
0: This one's a big one. It's grand for you to fuck us 24-7 for fun, but we can't have a single minute of harmless playtime, only suffer. It's dandy for you to rape us, but we're not allowed to even speak. Only be raped? Fuck you. You love to pretend, but you hedonists, charlatans, sadists, rapists, terrorists will never know the feelings of giving up your lives for a cause. You've never felt a single ounce of pain in your hedonistic lives. You'll never give up a single can of your Bud Light, (laughs) a shot of your cognac, or a half drop of your own precious blood for another human being. Only fuck the shit out of him and lie afterwards. You fucked us, now we fuck you, now we kill you. There can be no lighter penalty for masqueraded democratic terrorists who commit unforgivable acts of treason against mankind. There is nowhere in the world you can run, you lovers of terrorism. There is nowhere in the world you can hide, you lovers of sadism. You will never know when and where the and defenseless that you fucked will strike day, night, at school, in the public, in your home, during your most comfortable hour and protected place. You will never know how we will kill you, slash your throat, bullet in your back, torture you with knives, hammers, bolt cutters, scissors. You will always live in fear. You will never be able to go to school or work or rest or sleep. Your heart will always pound nonstop. Your sin-ridden soul will slowly eat up your conscience for the heinous crimes you have committed. So if you don't want to die a painful death, do yourself a favor. Do yourself a coup de grace and kill yourself clean or you will endure pains you can never feel but with our hands. Kill yourself or we will hound you down and rip you, all your friends, and all your family into small pieces. Page 13, we have no sympathy in killing humans who have no respect for other people's lives. Page 15, the blood of the innocent should never be shed, but the wicked we shall spread our wings and strike. We do not want the weak, the defenseless, or the innocent, but the sadistic, the corrupt, and the wicked who pray and rape from the weak, the defenseless, and the innocent. We will seek and to demolish them until our last breath. You life-takers may have succeeded in raping our souls and shattering our dreams, but mark our words, the vendetta that you have witnessed today will reverberate throughout every home and every soul in America and will inspire the innocent kids that you have fucked to start a war of vendetta. We will raise hell on earth that the world has never witnessed. Millions of deaths and millions of gallons of blood on the streets. Page 17. As the time approached, I wished for a last-minute miracle and discard this mission you've given me. Heaven knows I wouldn't hurt a single leaf of a flower. What? But when the time came, I did it. I had to. What other choices did you give me? All this time, you never know that a human being is capable of doing till you fuck him to the edge. When you are raped of everything... You got nothing to lose.
1: Again, like this, he had choices. This he manifesto, had it.
0: you can get the idea. It just rambles on and on. I'm saying the same thing.
1: Fuck everybody. Fuck you, Christians. I'm the victim. No one gave me options. He had options.
0: The last page of the manifesto reads, an excerpt from the last page of the manifesto reads, Are you happy now that you have destroyed my life? Now that you have stolen everything you could from me? Now that you have gone on a 9-11 on my life like fucking Osama. Now that you have fucked your own people like fucking Kim jong the second. Now that you have gone on a Hummer safari on my life like fucking Bush. Are you happy now? So now you're throwing him in politics into it? Just all over the place. I know that we can definitely get the idea in the first episode. But Cho really... the Y'all, we said it at the end of our last episode. If you harbor... Thoughts of rage like this. This is not
1: normal. -mm. I love how he talks to himself like being a savior. Like he was like this great hero. No one should look up to him for what? For any of this. Like this is not normal. This is not good. Especially if you harbor this kind of anger. And I hate to say it, denial. Because he had options. He could have been normal. He could have done this. He could have gotten help. He didn't have to be like everybody else, but he could have lived a normal life. No one forced him to do anything.
0: Right. He made the choices he made himself. Yeah, no one took responsibility of making sure that he was taking care of his mental health. And yeah, we did mess up on that. But ultimately, Cho had full responsibility of himself. Mm -hmm. And he chose Mm -hmm. not to help himself so that he could be a productive member of society. He hated himself and the world too much for that.
1: Mm-hmm. This is not from the point of perspective of someone that was a hero. Like He could...
0: He he viewed himself he viewed, as a yeah but, but
1: did he? Did he? Because he wanted to kill himself too. He looked at himself like a loser. It's
0: so contradictory. But you know how sometimes in movies, the hero will sacrifice himself at the end. And I think maybe that's what he was thinking for himself.
1: And people that like that, and I hate to say that people, there are people that do look up to him. You shouldn't look up to him. This is not the answer.
0: No. Around nine forty-five, Cho arrived at Norris Hall, where the mass shooting originally began. He shot at dozens of people, including many, and fatally killing thirty people.
1: I believe he targeted the machining classes.
0: There was a variety of classes in the building. I believe actually one of the classes was a French class.
1: Oh. I don't remember where I remember learning this from, but I could have swore it was mostly targeted machining class. I don't know why I thought that.
0: I don't think he didn't target anybody. It was all random. Not necessarily
1: targeted, but like that was the ma- like a majority of the classes that he went and got was machining.
0: I think it was just all random. Huh. From what I've researched, it was mainly all language classes.
1: If he hated people, why didn't he target the English classes that he was in? Like, those were the people that he was around that he hated. Why did he not go to those? Maybe
0: he just hated everybody, and I think that's evidenced by his attack. But Cho chained the three main entrances of Norris Hall shut before the attack. It's reported that some students saw the chains, but never reported them. So Cho goes into this building. He's armed. He's getting ready to perform his attack. But before he does, he puts chains on all the entrances into the building, the three main entrances into the building. And supposedly, before he began shooting, some people saw these chains on the doors and no one said anything. Which, again, you can't put blame on anyone but Cho. But if if I were walking past a school or a building on a college campus and I saw the doors chained, that's never supposed to happen. That's odd. That is something that, well, not everyone has common sense, but... And I know there's such a thing called the bystander effect where you don't speak up and say anything because you just naturally assume that someone else is going to do it. But seeing chains on school buildings, that's not normal. And that's something you would immediately need to speak up about. Cho placed a note on the inside of one of the doors with a warning that a bomb would go off if anyone tried to take the chains off the door. And maybe this is why no one said anything, but again, you could still say something without actually trying to remove the change yourself. There's critique that if the note had been reported sooner, the police may have arrived sooner. Which, by the way, we're going to talk about the police response in a little while, but there is critique about the police response to this too. But in Weird Side's opinion, the police did an excellent job at responding to this. But we'll talk more about that in a little bit. After proceeding into the building, Cho supposedly walked around in the hallway on the second floor, poking his head in and out of several classrooms. Room 206 was the first room to be under attack. Cho shot and killed Professor G. V. Ligonathan, then continued shooting at students in the room. Witnesses and survivors stated that Cho remained silent the entire time. During this attack, while gunshots were going off, some people were not aware that the noises were gunshots and others were not. The first 911 call came to the Virginia Tech Police Department approximately one minute after the shooting began. Other calls came in later. Cho ended up attacking four classrooms in total and several students who attempted to escape via the hallway. Cho would return to several classrooms and then start shooting victims a second time even. Some students survived by barricading their classroom doors and playing dead. Within three minutes of Virginia Tech Police Department receiving the initial nine one one call, they arrived on site.
1: That's what I'm talking about. That is what I'm talking about. That is good.
0: They responded in within three minutes, which I know that three minutes seems like three hours if you were in an emergency situation, and especially if you were in this building while this is happening. But realistically, responding in three minutes—that is very good response time. That's very good
1: response time, especially if the phone call came in within the first minute of the shooting, and right. they responded in three minutes after that. It's four minutes has gone by when, before right when he started shooting. Right. That's pretty good.
0: That's again, I know that probably seems like that was way too long for the police to get there, but look at it realistically. Yeah, the four minutes total time that the shooting began, that probably seems like forever. That's
1: a big campus. That's a huge campus.
0: And they were on it, you know, as fast as they possibly could be. So, elaborating a little bit more on this, by professional standards, this was considered to be an extraordinarily fast police response. Some of the reason why they arrived so fast was because some of the responding officers were already nearby from the earlier shooting in the dorm room the one that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So even just right there, it's not so, just our opinion like
1: So Joe kind of fucked himself. A he did. little bit.
0: Uh, yeah, he did a little bit, yeah. but you can tell like I think that the shooting in Norris Hall, the building where this main shooting did occur, I think that was planned, but I don't know if the one in the dorm building beforehand was planned or not.
1: I don't know, but definitely if if I don't think he really thought about how fast they would respond.
0: Right. Especially
1: since he shot so close. Right. Like it just. That was kind of his own doing right there.
0: Right. Now, the first officers to enter the building were H. Dean Lucas, Patrol, Greg Evans, Patrol, Scott Craig, SWAT, Brian Rowe, SWAT, and Johnny Self, Patrol. This group arrived to the second floor as the shooting came to an end. These officers described the scene as eerily
1: quiet. Can you imagine what would be going through their heads? You get a call in that there's a shooting going on on your campus. Yeah. And you have to go. And the, they, the, the shooter is at large in that building. You are in that building. Right. And imagine
0: being quiet. these people. Like, I know you may be saying, well, yeah, that's their job. But really put yourself in their shoes. Like, you, you hear that there's an active shooter on campus right now. There's something going on on campus. People's lives are at risk right now. And I know that this is what your profession is, but you yourself have a family at home, but you are immediately running right to danger.
1: Let me tell you something. They can, I mean, not to compare this with what I experienced, because they're totally different, and what these officers is extremely more uncomfortable than what I went through. But when I was a CEO, and they told us stories about walking by someone's cell and finding them fucked up, like, it doesn't put it in perspective until... That day, like I walked by a cell and found a guy that had tried to slit his throat in his wrist. And nothing that they taught me prepared me. Like, mentally. Mentally. Now, to do their jobs, obviously, they're trained professionals. They know what they're doing. But, like, mentally, you know, someone can look at you and tell you, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. But then when you're there in the moment...
0: Nothing prepares you for the moment that you're actually in it. I mean, you can talk about it beforehand as much as you want to and say, oh, we'll expect this, this, and this. But until you're actually in it yourself, Mm -hmm. it's just a whole different
1: ballgame. And especially to be in a building. Now, I wonder if they heard, were they in the building when the gunshots were going off? Like, boom, boom, boom,
0: boom, boom. I think they got in there after Cho was done.
1: Was done. Okay.
0: But the second group of officers that arrived were Lieutenant Curtis Cook, SWAT, Sergeant Tom Gallimore, SWAT, Sergeant Sean Smith, SWAT, Larry Waddell, SWAT, Keith Weaver, patrol, Daniel Hardy, SWAT, and Jeff Robinson, SWAT. And this group arrived to the second floor on the other side of the building. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think what happened by the time that they were in there, this all happened so fast. And they were already responding to this fast enough. But Cho ended up committing suicide in room 211 due to a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Basically, he shot himself in the head, and that's how he ended his massacre. And it all happens so fast.
1: That's kind of a pussy way to go out.
0: It is a pussy way to go out. You know, to be such a a martyr in your mind, you take the coward's way out after you do something like that.
1: Which I'm glad that he didn't shoot at those officers too. I mean, not because I, I don't want to put those. I mean, nobody should have been put in danger that day. Absolutely, no, nobody should. No one, but definitely. I mean. Those students should not have died, and I wouldn't want them to be shot at, the police officers be shot at either.
0: No, and I don't think that they were, because again, by the time they entered the building, Cho was already dead. Well guys, we're going to go ahead and take a quick ad break, slash a local business shout out break, and we will be back momentarily. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy supporting local businesses?
1: I know I do.
0: Well, I do too, and we hope you guys said yes as well, because we've got a few local businesses that we would love to let y'all know about.
1: Is it product plug time?
0: Yes, it is. Product plug! (laughs) Product plug! Our first local business that we want to give a shout out to, you guys have heard us mention this business every single episode, Grace Upon Grace Creations. Grace upon... Grace is... (laughs) Described as an arts and crafts store, that's what their category is listed out on Facebook, but they are so much more than just an arts and crafts store.
1: Just like the Transformers, more that meets the eye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they do a lot of cute, personalized things that you just can't find in the store. They've been expanding more on their clothing line as of lately, and I've mentioned it several times in our previous episodes, but just cute t-shirts with saying for lifestyles on it, like mama or wifey or, or daddy. Th- or baseball mom or Or football mom or whatever the case may be and they're just cute shirts stuff that you can't find in the store they actually recently posted some hey dude look-alike shoes and a couple of the designs i saw on there were cow print designs heifers heifer designs but (laughs) i just thought it was so cute like you're not gonna find that in the store On their t-shirts, they're starting to come out with more of their spring and summer styles, and they always seem to correlate with the season of the year. They also, from time to time, will do live recordings, go live on Facebook to model this clothing that they are advertising for sale, and it's really, really cool. It's a fun time to be a part of that. And where I know them personally, it cracks me up when I go on there and see them just Going to town, walking the runway in their comfort of their home. But their original product, I think that they first started out with, were the car freshies, which I have bought quite a few of them, and they they last, I think, a pretty decent amount of time. But that's what she started out with, as my memory serves, and. They are just so cute. I'm going to read a post that she actually made today. She says, hey, not many of you guys know, but I'm constantly mentioning how we take custom orders for car freshies. Did y'all hear that? Custom orders. What are car freshies? They're hanging air fresheners that can be used in your car, your locker, your drawers, closet, etc. They're perfect for adding style and fragrance all at the same time. The new thing is now... We will be making them completely by ourselves, meaning we will be scenting, coloring, baking, and designing your car freshie when you order one from us. Our car freshies are $12 no matter the design, color, or scent. Shoot us a message to place an order or for any questions on the car freshies. Here are just a few that we have done and we're so excited to do so many more. And just in this post, one of the molds that they have advertised was one that I asked them to make. And it just, y'all... They're worth the $12, I promise you. Well, if you decide to give Grace Upon Grace a check out, if you use the code word WEIRDSIDE, you can get 15, that 5 1.5%, off your order to Grace Upon Grace. So not only can you support a local business, you also can get a discount, too.
1: Discount. Monkey <laughs> <Lucky> n- farts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was one of the sins over there. It just cracks me up. Yeah, they have. You think it smells like bananas?
0: <laughs> I've never I'm too scared. Morgan said that it actually didn't smell bad, but Ooh. that was the other thing I forgot to mention is for those car freshies, the scent list is like almost endless. But yeah, be sure to check them out on Facebook. Our second local business that we want to give a shout out to is another one that we have given a shout out to since day one of our podcast episode, and that is sugar and flour. Flour and sugar. Which, by the way, me and Taylor went there today.
1: Yes, we did, because we uh, love sweets.
0: Yeah, we did. I got, well, right now, their sip of the month is a chocolate hazelnut cold brew. And I really like it, because I freaking love Nutella. (laughs) (laughs) And it is right up my alley. It was really good. Taylor got his usual salted caramel deluxe
1: but this time i got a pulled pork panini
0: and i tried to buy it and that wasn't bad wasn't
1: that it was it pretty was, good
0: That was really really good and i was about to
1: get a caesar salad which is also good
0: yes one thing cool about sugar and flour this week meaning may 8th through may 12th teachers and nurses get 15 percent off food and beverages so it was really cool today that i got to get a discount for being a nurse Heck yeah. I felt a little appreciated. And after we punched in our little um, rewards number and after they put in the discount, I had to bring my work ID to prove that I'm a nurse, but I mean, which they already know anyway, but you have to be fair to everybody. But it's set up on the screen. Thank you, nurse. That just, just little things like that make us feel so appreciated. But Sugar and Flower has special treats for the week as well in honor of teachers and nurses. They have specialty decor treats. Today, they had cute little pencil pretzel rods, so they, she made a pretzel rod that literally looked like a giant pencil. It was so cute. And she made some cookies that look like notebook paper They say A-plus on them. Also adorable. Cupcakes, cookies, cookie cakes, candy apples. Sam will hook you up. They're also going to have some Mother's Day specials, too, coming up. Now, I'm not a mom yet, but...
1: Hey, you're a fur mama. <laughs>
0: Yes, I am a fur mama, but I just think that is so neat that she's still, you know, not everyone is greedy, but it's just nice to see someone who has a local business still doing something that is humble to to society. Actually, even with sugar flower, you remember Happy Hog that I've mentioned before in our podcast? I think I mentioned Happy Hog in the last episode or maybe even the one before that. It's also a new restaurant that has opened in Parisburg, and it's actually on the same strip at Sugar and Flour, and is practically across the street from them. But even Happy Hog used Sugar and Flour for an employee appreciation during their first month of opening. Heck yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, be sure to give out Sugar and Flour if you're interested in getting some sweets and treats. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's another new business that I wanted to give a shout-out to. This is actually the business that Morgan from Grace Upon Grace, her partner, started, her fiancé. And this one is called OG Resellers. So far, it looks like OG Resellers is a place where you can find furniture locally, and they will pick up this piece of furniture and deliver it to you for a fee.
1: So I can still be lazy and get that cabinet that I
0: want. Absolutely. And once again, it's a well, local business. this is the business. product for me. Yeah. Again, it's a local business. So if you just don't have a truck to go get it, or if you're just lazy, or check,
1: don't want to rent a U-Haul,
0: don't want to rent a U-Haul, check OG resellers out. They can hook you up. And we actually probably gonna be uh, Facebook stalking a lot because we are in need of another Curo cabinet. So check them out. I'll post the links for all these local businesses in our description and we'll get back to the show. Take a walk the weird side. Well, welcome back, weirdos.
1: Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> sit down, sit on the couch, enjoy yourself. Stop it. Get some help. Get some help. (laughs) Yeah, Mr.
0: Cho definitely needed to get some help. But we'd like to take this next part to remember some of the victims that died in the Virginia Tech massacre. There is a website that I'm going to post the link to in our description where you can find much more detailed bios of these victims and what I can manage to come up with as far as typing and writing a short bio that I felt described the person enough I feel like mine doesn't do it justice at all, so I will be posting the link to that in our description in case you would like to read more about it. Once again, guys, I really don't want to disrespect any of the deceased, but I really do struggle with pronouncing names and certain words in general, so I'm going to try my best here. Ross Abdullah Alamedine, 20 years old, was a sophomore English major, graduate from Austin Prep School in Reading, Massachusetts, and described as a funny intelligent, and easygoing person. Christopher James Bishop, 35 years old, instructor in German and German literature, earned master's degrees in German from University of Georgia, and was a Fulbright scholar at Christian Albrecht's University in Kiel, Germany. His wife also taught in Tech's German program, described as a passionate and reliable teacher. Brian Blum, 25 years old, graduate student in Water Resources, Had an undergrad degree, was a huge fan of the Detroit Tigers, member of Baptist College Ministries, loved going to the football games. Ryan Clark, 22 years old, trio major of biology, English and psychology, with intentions to pursue a Ph.D. in psychology, carried a 4.0 GPA, ironically an RA on a floor in West Ambler Johnston Hall, which was the original dorm building where the first attack occurred. He was a member of the Marching Virginians Band, nickname of Stack, described as someone who was always smiling and laughing, very loving, happy, and caring. Austin Cloyd, age unknown, from Blacksburg, involved in the First United Methodist Church, helped rehabilitate homes in the community, involved with sports, particularly basketball and volleyball, described as caring, intelligent, and faithful. Jocelyn Couture-Nowak, age unknown, instructor in French, creator of the first French school in Nova Scotia, Canada. Husband was head of horticulture department at Virginia Tech, described as intelligent, caring, and loving. Daniel Perez Cuevas, 21 years old, studied international relations, member of Peru's swim team, was said to be very close to his mother. Kevin Granada, 45 years old, professor of engineering, science, and mechanics, a veteran, Studied muscle and reflex response and robotics with students. Also studying movement dynamics in persons with cerebral palsy. Said to be one of the top five biomechanics researchers in the country. Described as kind and a wonderful family man. Matthew Gwaltney, 24 years old. Master's degree student in civil and environmental engineering. Loved going to the football games. Quote, best guy to take home to your parents. Caitlin Hammerin, 19 years old sophomore student majoring in international studies in French, described as nice, reliable, and a leader. Jeremy Herbstritt, 27 years old, graduate student studying engineering, two undergrad degrees from Penn State in biochemistry and molecular biology, described as very talkative, but a wonderful student and person. Rachel Hill, 18 years old, freshman studying biology, graduated high school from Grove Avenue Christian School, Enjoyed volleyball, described as popular, funny, bright, and poised. Emily Jane Hilsher, 19 years old, freshman studying animal and poultry sciences, loved animals, described as talented, sweet, and helpful. Jarrett Lane, 22 years old, from Narrows, senior majoring in civil engineering, valedictorian in a high school class, involved with sports in high school such as football, track, and basketball, described as fun, loving, full of spirit, humble, and kind. I could be wrong, but I think your mom actually said she knew the mother of Jarrett Lane. I'm I'm pretty sure I'll have she, to. She might have. I'll have to check with her, but I know she was talking to me one time about knowing one of the um, the mother of one of the students who died at Virginia Tech, and I believe it was this guy.
1: I'm, l- I'm gonna do some now. <laughs> There's a lot of names. I thought I'd take that. Thirty-two victims. Uh, if I again, if I'm actually really bad at English, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and if I mess up any names, no disrespect, Matthew.
0: Matthew
1: Matthew Laporte, 20 years old, sophomore in Virginia Tech Air Force ROTC program, a member of Virginia Tech's Corps and Cadets, plans to possibly major in political science, graduated third in high school class, described as an inspiring person. Henry Lee. 20 years old, majoring in computer engineering, was in the international
0: bachelorette
1: program, <laughs> the French National Honor Society, the Beta Club, at his former high school, described as a serious student, but not a serious person.
0: Liviu Labresco.
1: 76 years, professor of engineering science and machining, was known for his work in...
0: Aeronautical engineering. I think that is to do space.
1: Yeah. Was a survivor of the Holocaust, saved the lives of many students by using his body to block the doorway of the classroom. That's a hero right there.
0: That is a hero right there. I know that many people, you know, in the aftermath, he is mentioned a lot by students here survived that attack and
1: to be so old 76 yeah and a holocaust hey,
0: that just gives me chills and i just want to cry because he was a holocaust survivor had his life on the line but he still risked it to protect those students
1: dr gv lagonathan lagonathan serves as an advisor for undergrad students 1-1 award for excellence in teaching during his time at virginia tech described as an excellent teacher and mentor
0: partahi lambantoran
1: I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm so bad with names. Uh,
0: (laughs) 34 years
1: old. Civil engineering doctorate student. Described as hardworking and intelligent. Lauren McCain. Studying German and Latin at Virginia Tech. Tribal member of...
0: co Nation. She was in a tribe. I don't think she was Native American, but I think Mm. this was a tribe.
1: Described as a loving Christian with a sweet and loving heart. Daniel Patrick O'Neill. 22 years old. Grad student studying environmental engineering was also a teaching assistant was vice president of the arts uh, society and part of the national honor society at his undergrad school had a musical talent was a songwriter and played guitar described as smart responsible and hardworking
0: juan ramon, ramon. ortiz
1: ortiz sorry 26 years old, was at Virginia Tech to obtain a master's degree in
0: Magna Cum Laude from Polytechnic University in San Juan, Puerto Rico.
1: Before Virginia Tech was married and had plans to start a family soon, described as quiet and dedicated.
0: That means he was smart, very smart. That's yeah. something all these victims have in common so far. Minal Penchal,
1: 26 years old, first year grad student studying building science, wanted to be an architect like her father, described as bright and polite. Aaron Peterson played on her high school basketball team. Unsure if she was on the basketball team at Virginia Tech, described as a strong leader. Michael Pohl, 23 years old, was a few weeks shy of graduating with degrees in biological, biological science. Enjoyed the athletics, particularly football and lacrosse, described as an overall good kid.
0: Julia Kathleen peered
1: studying for a master's degree in biological systems the summer before had traveled abroad to research water quality issues described as one of the nicest people that you could ever meet
0: and she was 23 years old was
1: 23 mary karen reed 19 years old freshman majoring in
0: interdisciplinary studies
1: was wanting to join a sorority was a member of campus crusades for christ seemed to be someone who Radiated positively. Also born in South Korea. Rima... Samaha? Samaha? (laughs) Sorry. 18 years old. Freshman who was studying dancing. Graduating from the same high school that Cho did three years after he did. Performed with Virginia Tech...
0: Contemporary.
1: Contemporary Dance Ensemble. Ensemble. Described as a beautiful dancer and someone who radiated with positive energy.
0: Waleed Shalon.
1: 32 years old studying his doctorate in civil engineering was married and had a one-year-old son was a teaching assistant member of blacksburg muslim community described as a nice and simple guy leslie sherman junior major in history and international relations was a part of virginia tech honors program loved to travel always gave back to her community described as a very outgoing and giving person maxine turner Senior majoring in uh, chemical engineering, was at the top of her class in high school, had a job lined up post-graduation, did some work for Alpha Omega Epsilon, which is a sorority for women in engineering.
0: And she created that herself. Really? I believe she did.
1: Nicole White, 20 years old, junior majoring in international studies and German, was an honor student in high school described as someone with great character and an animal lover. I'm sorry if I butchered any of those names again. I'm not bad with English, but <laughs> I tried.
0: Well, we hope to give you just a, a, even a small idea of what kind of people that these were who died. I mean, nobody deserved to die like that, but these were people who were so intelligent.
1: I noticed a lot of them were engineering classes. Oh,
0: yeah. Very, very intelligent people. Very. People described as so nice and people who are positive, people who are funny, people who other people wanted to be around, people who make society great. Mm -hmm. It's just so sad. Like I said, guys, this was just, I did the best I could for many bios, but I just, I I can't even do them justice. Uh,
1: Yeah, obviously you can't give these people justice just for a few words that we said, but yeah. All of them had beautiful lives ahead of them. Very bright futures. A lot of people that we hate to see. And I, I didn't even know the story about the 76-year-old. That guy's a hero. Oh,
0: yeah. He is a hero.
1: Mm-hmm. All of them it's were heroes in their own right. I mean, they
0: were all heroes. Mm-hmm. And they all, then none of them deserved to die like the way no. they did. No. But some of the aftermaths following the Virginia Tech massacre. We had mentioned earlier that Virginia Tech PD, they were critiqued. A lot on response time and again I, d- I just really don't understand what there is to critique about their response time critique on response time is the shooter or sorry the police response from that shooter in texas
1: i don't know if it was necessarily response time on that one i think that one was more they sat out in the hall instead of going inside to get him which is well exactly
0: odd. i mean that's a critique that's a
1: critique that I mean, is four minutes three minutes response time that's pretty good,
0: and they. I think that's been really good.
1: Went, I mean, we don't live in a perfect world, and granted, you know, they wouldn't have had that good of a response time if Cho hadn't messed up. That was amazing response time.
0: It was. Some people
1: don't get that lucky.
0: Exactly. Again, the biggest thing I can think of is that elementary school where those poor kids were. Yeah. And the police force was too sorry to go going and get hand sanitizer, but wouldn't even go in and get those poor kids out of the building. Mm-hmm. Now, that is something worth being pissed off over. But there's honestly nothing here to be pissed off over with Virginia Tech.
1: Some people, I guess, might critique where they should have known that there was an active shooter because those two people. But you could argue, like, how did they know? It didn't look like that. It didn't look
0: right, that Right, exactly. They thought that earlier shooting was... It could
1: look that way. You know, that's a perspective thing, but... I, I mean, I, I, could, I could see where they were coming from.
0: And you got to remember, it takes time to investigate things. The police respond to a double homicide, and it looks like it, the scene is set up. It looks like a couple was attacked. It looks that way. It takes time to investigate and find out that that's not who those victims were. It takes time. You can't immediately walk onto a scene and say, oh, well, this guy was the RA, and this girl was somebody else. And like, you just don't know that. You have to investigate. Mm-hmm. That's why they did not send that active shooter alert at that time because there was no reason to think that there was a mass shooter on campus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I'll be reading an excerpt from a report done.
1: What kind of report
0: is it, my love? It's a report done on the shooting. It's actually, I believe, under Virginia Tech's own website. But oh. it's Chapter 8 of the Mass Murder at Norris Hall a.k.a. Virginia Tech Massacre, police response. Within three minutes of the Virginia Tech police receiving the 911 call, two officers arrived outside of Norris Hall by squad car. They were Virginia Tech Officer H. Dean Lucas and Blacksburg Sergeant Anthony Wilson. A few seconds later, three more officers arrived by car, Blacksburg Police Department Officers John Glass, Scott Craig, and Brian Rowe. We mentioned those names earlier on in the episode. More continued to arrive throughout the incidents. By professional standards, this was an extra extraordinarily fast police response. The officers had been near WAJ as part of the investigation and security following the first incident, so they were able to respond much faster than they otherwise would have. And again, Cho set himself up for this. I mean, that didn't seem to be very well thought out, but good thing it did work out that way. They were able to get there faster than what would be normally expected.
1: I just had a thought, weirdly enough, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you think Cho killed himself because he knew he had realized that his mistake and that the police were there much quicker and didn't know. feel that's like a, he wanted to take them on?
0: That's an interesting question. That's just a
1: thought. It, it's any, an interesting by the thought. Way, if anybody has any thoughts or information that we missed, send us an email. We'd like to hear about it, you know.
0: Oh, Yeah. The two police forces trusted each other, had trained together, and did not have to take time sorting out who would go from which organization into which car. They just went together as fast as they could. And they deserve props even for that. How many times do you see, like, look at the Ramirez case or even other serial killer cases where police jurisdictions fight over who gets to call dibs on the case. And, you know, I think it's done because they want to take credit for what, but You see that happen quite often, and it's, I think, a normal thing that goes on in the police force over cases like this, but not in this case. They worked together. They didn't give a shit who was going to take credit for it.
1: There's an active shooter. Let's go get him.
0: Exactly. There's an active shooter on campus. People's lives are at risk. Let's fucking get in the car and go. Like, that deserves a tremendous amount of applause. And, again... It just kind of like why? Why would anyone critique that? That is going, I think, above and beyond. Because
1: probably because some people believe, like I would have responded this way in this scenario. You don't know that. You no don't one freaking knows know that how you respond in these scenarios till you're there. Exactly. And me and Hannah can tell you we were at a shooting.
0: We were the Salem Fair shooting.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: when did that happen? Twenty
1: twenty-one, dude. You don't think?
0: You really? You don't. You don't
1: think? I just remember grabbing you and taking off running.
0: Exactly. You don't know how you're going to respond in those kind of scenarios. Mm -hmm. The five officers immediately proceeded to implement their training for dealing with an active shooter. Immediately proceeded to implement their training for dealing with an active shooter. No delays. The policy is to go to the gunfire as fast as possible, not in a careless headlong rush, but in a speedy but careful advance. Once again, These people didn't even think twice. They ran towards danger. And yeah, you can make the argument, well, that's their job. But you know what? Show some fucking respect.
1: Yeah, that is their job. And that's a dangerous job. A job that's not for everybody.
0: Exactly. Show some damn respect. Mm -hmm. The first arriving officers had to pause several seconds after exiting their cars to see where the gunfire was coming from. Mm -hmm. Especially whether it was being directed toward them. Again.
1: So they obviously did hear shots.
0: Yeah, but that's when they arrived on scene outside
1: the building. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. And that's a valid point. That's You hear gunshots, you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know who it's pointed at. I mean, look at Waco when that raid happened. You know, they didn't know where the gunshots were coming from, and they didn't know who they were coming at. You know, you have to assume, like, you just, you don't know until you're in that situation. Mm Mm-hmm. You have a responsibility to get those people out, but at the same time, what good are you going to be if you get yourself killed? It's just like the airplane scenario.
1: Again, everybody in that building, whether you were a student or you were a police officer responding, had families, had lives. You right. You've got to be careful.
0: It's just like what they say about the airplane. Like If, if the plane's crashing and their oxygen masks come down, you're going to put your oxygen on yourself before you do somebody else because you're not going to be able to help somebody if you're dead. They quickly figured out that the firing was inside the building, not coming from the windows to the outside. They quickly figured that out because Cho was using two different caliber weapons, whose sounds are different. The assumption had to be made that there was more than one shooter.
1: That's an interesting thing.
0: It is interesting. That is very interesting. And well,
1: I, well, I see that because how many times that Cho's shooting case was very unique because a lot of shooters use what high machine caliber guns. machine guns. AK-47. Oh, no, ak forty seven. Uh, I don't know why it's leaving me right now. Very high, powerful guns, okay? hmm Which are very powerful. And I see where they're coming from because a twenty two does not... What was his other weapon? I know one of them was a twenty two. The other one was a much stronger handgun. Right. I think it was a fifty. I don't remember. But they do sound very different. I can totally see where they're coming from on that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's just part of the training, you know, yeah. in their area that you just don't know about. By the way, it was a .22 caliber and a 9mm Glock.
1: The, that's what it was. Okay. The twenty two was... Yeah. I see their point on that.
0: Right. The officers tried the nearest entrance to Norris Hall, found it chained, quickly proceeded to a second and then a third entrance, both also chained. Attempts to shoot off the padlocks or chains failed. They then moved rapidly to a fourth entrance, a maintenance shop door that was locked but not chained. Maybe that's where you were getting that idea from earlier. You remember?
1: Oh, which door was chained? No, when you said uh,
0: the classes that were going on. uh Uh-huh. You said something earlier about weren't the... Machining? Yeah. Maybe that's where you got this idea from.
1: You said it was a maintenance door? It was probably just like a normal maintenance, like a maintenance closet for like cleaning supplies or somebody that maintenance would use.
0: No, remember you said earlier that you thought certain students were attacked. Yeah.
1: Machining kids.
0: Yeah, that's what you said. (laughs) Because Virginia
1: Tech is well known for their... uh, uh, Machining.
0: But that's maybe where you got that idea uh, engine
1: Why did I say machining? Engineering. I'm so sorry. Virginia Tech is well known for its engineering classes.
0: Right. Anyway, they moved rapidly to a fourth entrance, a maintenance shop door that was locked but not chained. They shot open the conventional key lock with a shotgun. Five police officers entered and rapidly moved up the stairs toward the gunfire, not knowing who or how many gunmen were shooting. Once again, put yourself in this scenario. You don't know what the fuck is going on.
1: Back to what we were talking about. So obviously they did hear the gunshots and they did say it was eerily quiet. Can you imagine? Yeah, I guess responding? that does come inside uh, with what uh, we That said must earlier. be terrifying, but coming up those and like hearing those gunshots and then hearing
0: quiet. So this report would actually disprove what we said earlier. I thought that they entered once Cho was already dead. That was wrong. They had already entered the building. They're hearing the gunshots.
1: Do you think Cho heard the, the shotgun blast? Open the door that's loud
0: i have no idea that's loud
1: i mean he, he i feel like he might have heard that maybe not i mean they might he might not have heard it i
0: don't know the first team of five officers to enter norris hall after the door lock was shot were virginia tech officer h dean lucas patrol blacksburg officer greg evans patrol blacksburg officer scott craig swat blacksburg officer brian rowe swat and Blacksburg Officer Johnny Self patrol. They were followed seconds later by a second team of officers, Virginia Tech Lieutenant Curtis Cook, SWAT, Virginia Tech Sergeant Tom Gallimore, SWAT, Virginia Tech Sergeant Sean Smith, SWAT, Virginia Tech Officer Larry Waddell, SWAT, Virginia Tech Officer Keith Weaver, patrol, Virginia Tech Officer Daniel Hardy, SWAT, Blacksburg Officer Jeff Robinson, SWAT. We had already mentioned all of the officers earlier on in the episode, but they deserve to be commended honestly. Both teams had members from more than one police department. The first police team got to the second floor hallway leading to the classrooms as the shooting stopped. The second police team that entered went upstairs to the opposite end of the shooting hallway on the second floor. They saw the first team at the opposite end of the hall and held in place to avoid a crossfire should the shooter emerge from a room. They then went to clear the third floor. The first team of officers arriving on the second floor found it eerily quiet, They approached cautiously in the direction from which the shots were fired. They had to clear each classroom and office as they passed it, lest they walk past the shooter or shooters and get fired upon from the rear. They saw casualties in the hallway and a scene of mass carnage in the classrooms, with many still alive. Although the shooter was eventually identified, he was not immediately apparent, and they were not certain whether other shooters lurked. This seemed a distinct possibility. As one police sergeant later reflected, How could one person do all this damage alone with handguns? Some people have questioned why the police could not force entry into the building more quickly. First, most police units do not carry bolt cutters or other entry devices. Such tools would rarely be used by squad car officers. They usually are carried only in the vans of special police units.
1: Well, Cho's attack was very thought out. Um, I I don't know if a lot of school shooters chain the doors.
0: True, true.
1: Uh, so, th- obviously, you know, like, I, I don't think at that point it was very common or normal for them to to chain the door shut. So, they, I bet they didn't have it.
0: Second, the windows on the first floor are very narrow. As on all floors of Norris Hall, a thin student could climb through them. A heavily armed officer wearing bulletproof vests could not. Knocking down a door with a vehicle was not possible given the design and sight of the building. The auditorium connecting Norris Hall with Holden Hall and shared by both could have been used as an entry path, but it would have taken longer to get in by first running into Holden Hall, going through it, and then up the stairs to Norris Hall. The police ERT had the capability of receiving plans of the building by radio from the fire department, but that would have taken too long and was not needed in the event. Once again, this kind of just reminds me of with the best training that you have in mind, just, just dropping what you're doing and going.
1: I mean... All the doors were locked, and they managed to get in. Exactly. They worked with what they had. During the
0: shooting, a student took pictures from his cell phone that were soon broadcast on television. They showed many police outside of Norris Hall behind trees and cars, some with guns drawn, not moving toward the gunfire. Most of them were part of a perimeter established around the building after the first officers on the scene made entry. The police were following standard procedure to surround the building in case the shooter or shooters emerged firing or trying to escape. Mm -hmm. What was not apparent was that the first officers on the scene already were inside.
1: Now that makes sense. I mean, just in case he tries to run.
0: Once the shooting stopped, the first police on the scene switched modes and became a rescue team. Four officers carried out a victim using a diamond formation, two actually doing the carrying, and two escorting with guns drawn. At this point, it still was not known whether there was a second shooter. The police carried several victims who were still alive to the lawn outside the building, where they were turned over to a police-driven SUV that took the first victims to emergency medical treatment. A formal incident commander and Emergency Operations Center was not set up until after the shooting was over, mainly because events unfolded very rapidly. A more formal process was used for the follow-up investigation.
1: Is that a picture of him? Mm -hmm. I've never seen that picture.
0: I think this might have been his high school picture. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So, as you can see, the police handled this correctly. I think so. Investigators discovered that Cho fired more than 170 shots during the massacre.
1: See, that's prep right there. That is massive prep.
0: Exactly. They also found out that Cho filed off the serial numbers of the pistols he used, which is illegal.
1: Again, he prepped for this.
0: He prepared for this. Autopsy showed that there were no psychiatric or illegal drugs found in Cho's system. There was, like, no drugs at all found in his system, good or bad. Cho's shooting was random. Victims were randomly selected. Virginia Governor Timothy Kane hired Tridata Corporation to investigate the shooting, which, ironically, was the same corporation who investigated the Columbine Massacre. Oh, man. The case that seemed to inspire Cho so much. The report concluded that the school's mental health systems failed due to lack of resources, incorrect interpretation of privacy laws, and passivity. And I think this is very fair. But the report ultimately acknowledged that ultimately, Cho was responsible for his own actions and is responsible for the killing. Mm-hmm. A year after the shooting, a follow-up on the family was done from the Washington Post. The report stated that Cho's family had essentially cut themselves off from the world, including other family members in South Korea. Several of the home's windows had paper over them, and blinds were drawn over the windows. Reportedly, the only outside contact that the family has had with people are with the FBI. And also, I remember researching... The sister actually was the one who made the statement to the public after the shooting. Because remember, she was the translator because Cho's parents didn't speak very much English, I believe. And she was the translator for that. And can you imagine having to be the face of something associated with such tragedy? Cho wasn't there, obviously. And his parents couldn't speak, so that was given to the sister to do she essentially told the world that they are shocked that he did this and that they're ashamed. And as we can see from this report that was done a year after the shooting, they still remained ashamed. Maybe even to this day still.
1: I wonder where they are now.
0: I'm not sure, but I think they have essentially cut themselves off from the world because of this tragedy and because of the association that they're always going to have for their son's actions. And it's just really sad. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to lie. A lot of people think it's judgy of me and that's fair. But I really think that your children, in most cases, now there are some exceptions, but in most cases, your children are a reflection of how you raise them. But my personal opinion, just from setting the case and the case alone without any other outside factors, I think this is an exception to my little philosophy. I don't think that Cho's parents are to blame. I think they tried to help him with what they could. But ultimately, once again, Cho was responsible for his own actions. His influence on the campus post-massacre, good and bad. Virginia Tech, obviously, just like you should in every major event in your life, learn from it and see what you can change to better Yourself and better preparation for something in the future. God forbid. You know, it makes me sad that there are more shootings going on in the world, but I must certainly hope that one never happens again at Virginia Tech or anywhere in the world, but you just don't know. That would probably be a good question for Whiskey, but due to the fact that he does work with Virginia Tech Police Department and he's an officer, he is not able to disclose a lot of information about the Virginia Tech massacre, which we respect, but. I do believe that the Virginia Tech Police Department, even though they did a great job at responding, they still learned from the incident, and I think they still changed things in their preparation plans for the future if another shooting occurred.
1: Mm-hmm. I, Every, I mean, this, this changed not only that, how they responded, but how other campuses responded and how mental health really should be taken seriously.
0: Yeah. But unfortunately, just about as anything in life, there is good and bad to everything, and unfortunately, Cho did leave some negative influences on people out there. This is a report that I've obtained from the FBI. The names are anonymous. And this was a report written on April 19, 2007. The excerpt says, Student X first met Student Y when he was in Student Y's class. Student Y showed Student X a violent writing that Student Y had turned in for a class assignment. Nearly all of his words were attacks against women and children, which included rape and occasions. Student Y's application to the MFA graduate program also detailed violent confrontations with women and children. Student Y would sometimes wear a gas mask around campus. Supposedly, this was inspired by Cho. Another incident in 2015, a teenager in South Korea set fire to a classroom stating that he wanted to leave behind a record like Cho. Also in 2015, Internet users in South Korea glorified Cho in the Virginia Tech killings, referring to Cho as, quote, General Cho. Now, what can we take away from this horrible tragedy?
1: Number one, not glorifying Cho. Take that that right off the bat.
0: Exactly. Why we're not, would, we're not
1: talking about him to glorify his actions. We're talking about it to learn from it.
0: I really don't understand how you could glorify a mass killer.
1: We don't. I'm not going to. Fuck him.
0: Exactly. The reason why we talk about Cho in this case is because one of the impact that it has on our community. This is a case that happened in our home. Number two, Taylor and I both feel like you can learn from almost anything. If we haven't said it enough, we mentioned this case because, one, it's a reminder that gun violence still does exist.
1: And this is the one case that proves not all shootings are with ARs.
0: Exactly. Not,
1: this was thought, this is probably one of the, if not the most deadly school shooting, and it wasn't an AR.
0: Exactly. And obviously, we know that gun violence is a thing. That's obviously one of the top issues going on in our world right now. But this is an exception to the rule that some people argue that all guns should be banned or certain guns should be banned. Well, yeah. this shooting happened, like Taylor said, on guns that were not known to be.
1: Uh, you know, typically the argument of should we ban guns? Do we need ARs? You can do just as much damage with a handgun. I and mean, then that, that you I mean there was a police officer that went on and said, "How could someone have done this with a handgun? Preparation and time can happen it
0: can it happen. can happen,
1: and again, it's not did the guns kill people? Those guns could have easily went to somebody that would have never used them that way.
0: exactly. It
1: was the person behind it was the person them.
0: behind the gun, which ties us all I think to the central takeaway from discussing this episode in this case Cho- mental health
1: mhm cho could have got help cho chose violence cho chose to do this and we should not glorify him or any of his actions we're here to learn from them
0: yes i think this is a scenario where cho simply did not care to get himself the mental health the mental health help that he needed but if we can make mental health even more readily available for anybody regardless of their being insured or not insured.
1: Things like this could possibly be avoided. Right. Possibly.
0: And maybe again, I'm not the mental health professional, but maybe a better job of follow ups mm-hmm. and just availability of resources.
1: And especially checking. I am for checking background checks on obtaining weapons. Uh, there were definitely some questions about Cho in his past that were not addressed. And he was easily able.
0: Right, because of the laws at because the time. Because of the laws at
1: the time. I think I think we're getting We're getting there with, when it comes to background checks. There definitely does need to be a stricter thing on them. I think we're getting there now,
0: though. Right. Like, again, we don't like to discuss politics at all, but...
1: You know what? And if, and if you don't, if you disagree with us, we'd like to hear your opinion. Everybody's got different opinions. We'd like to hear them.
0: We just aren't going to debate on them on the show. No, we're not
1: going to debate them, but hey, if you... Hey, that's what we're here. We're here to talk about what happened. You might have a different take on it. We'd like to hear it. I mean...
0: Everybody Everybody's deserves a right important, talk about it, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So thanks, guys, for listening to these episodes on the Virginia Tech Massacre. I can tell you they were not necessarily easy to research and dive into, especially talking about them and just getting inside the mind of Cho.
1: I definitely have to say a uh, pat on the back to my beautiful wife for this wonderful research that she put in. Um, <laughs> she's a lot better than I am. But uh, I think she deserves a good old pat on the back. You did an amazing job. Thank I you.
0: you. Taylor calls me his bookworm. I'm, You're a little bookworm. I'm a little bit nerdy. You're my
1: sweet pea, though.
0: <laughs> well, thank you guys again so much. If you've enjoyed learning from this incident and you've enjoyed listening to these episodes, please give them a share. Mm-hmm. Help us get our podcast promoted. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate everyone who listens and everyone for interacting. Those who do interact, but we're always going to be looking to expand, and we can only do that from you guys. Mm-hmm. So,
1: if you have any ideas of stuff you'd like us to tackle,
0: shoot us hit us email. up.
1: We'd love to hear it. Ideas. I mean, you know, we're always just kind of thinking about things we want to talk about. But hey, hit us with up some ideas. Anybody? Right. Like, we'd any, love to hear them.
0: Any input about the show? Email us and let us know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Well, I'm Hannah.
1: And I'm Taylor.
0: And together we are Weird, Weird Side, Side Podcast. Podcast.